Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you ever misbehave while listening to my show, I'm going to spank you so much that I'm going to need to dip my own hand in a nice bucket of ice water to numb the pain of my hand. It hurts because I've been spanking you so much. And then I'm going to keep spanking you. Then I'm going to make you go on a 12-mile run in excruciating 100-degree July heat and tell you no when you beg for water like a little dog. I'm going to tell you no, no water for you. And then when you hit your head at practice a little bit later in the day, I'm going to tell you that concussions are merely a myth. Peter Novak here with you on World Soccer Talk Radio. Pleasure to have you with us. You can tweet the usual host, Nate Abarea, at NateWST. You can get a hold of all of us at World Soccer Talk and follow at Sports Byline USA for updates on the show. I hear that Nate guy. He is a damn good host. LAFC has released their new club crest. That's right. They don't have a team yet in all reality and actuality and all those types of words, but they have a crest, a golden angelic crest, and they now have Will Ferrell. That's right. You heard me correctly. Will Ferrell as a part owner of the Los Angeles Football Club. Good on ya, LAFC. Keith Costigan is going to be with us in this edition of the show. Very excited for this interview with Keith. We've had him on a handful of times. I think this is actually the sixth time that we've had Keith on. Every time is a blast, but this one is extra special. He's going to be on the sideline at St. James's Park, not to be confused with St. James Park up in Newcastle. No, St. James Park, the home of Exeter City. Exeter City hosting Liverpool tomorrow in the third round of the FA Cup, kicking off the third round of the FA Cup with a little Friday night affair. Keith will be on the sideline for that match, but he's also doing so much more over across the pond right now, interviewing some of the biggest names in the Premier League, and we'll talk to Keith about those interviews and when we can get to see them on Fox. We're back after this right here on World Soccer Sock Radio. Stay tuned, baby. Avenue, and then we'll take it higher. 
listening to World Soccer Talk Radio with your host, Nada Barea, on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Pretty good. Pretty damn good, lads! Yeah! Yeah! Welcome back in to World Soccer Talk Radio here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. My name is Nate Abarea. Tweet me at NateWST. Get a hold of all of us at World Soccer Talk. Subscribe to the show, iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. Our guest in this edition of the show, a very, very good friend of ours, currently talking to us from a, a very nice hotel down in the southern reaches of England. Keith Costigan, how you doing, sir? I'm good. Thanks for joining me. I saw you tweet out earlier that it was uh, Nicholas Cage's birthday. Am I, am I not mistaken? It is Nicholas Cage's birthday. Happy birthday to the greatest American <laughs> actor of our time. I, I don't know if I'd go that far, but yeah. <laughs> Wicker Man, I'm telling you, Wicker Man, greatest acting performance in the history of American cinema. All right, you were over there for a number of reasons, and, and I want to get to some of the interviews uh, that you've been doing with, with players from Chelsea and Manchester United and some of the other big names uh, in, in the Barclays Premier League. But first, we've got to talk about Exeter City and Liverpool in the FA Cup. You're going to be on the touchline tomorrow at St. James Park, uh, the, the home of Exeter City. What are you most looking forward to about this experience for you as, as a professional, but also just about this match? Well, it's, it's the second year in a row I've gone to a lower league team in the FA Cup and, and done sideline as they play Premier League opposition. And for me, that's what the FA Cup is all about. These smaller teams, they... They, they, they struggle to survive week in, week out. They have a, a strong fan base, but all of a sudden they get the chance to take down a Premier League side. And last year, Tranmere Rovers against Swansea. Swansea won out quite easily in the end, but the atmosphere, the fans were incredible. Um, I got a little bit of stick when I was doing my stand-ups before the game from some of the fans, which I thought was really funny. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just excited to be in a small, compact, old English-style venue and being around what the FA Cup is all about. You know, David against Goliath, we're going to see that tomorrow. And it, look, the way that Liverpool have had injuries over the last week, I think this is going to be a very tough game and, and Exeter are ready for them. Hey, I have to go back uh, to last year because uh, <laughs> the home of Tranmere Rovers in Birkenhead is very, very near and dear to me. <laughs> what kind of stick were those uh, Tranmere fans giving you, Keith? Well, I'll tell you, right before I was going to do my stand-up, I, f- I went to fix my tie and, you know, you can hear individual fans when you're in smaller stadiums so one fan said you can fix that tie all you want you're still going to be an ugly so-and-so <laughs> so uh you know i bantered back and said I-, I think you're right so he kind of enjoyed that i chatted back with him but i really enjoy those kind of things i think that's fun and and, and the fans there are real fans because they're not getting to watch premier league teams every week they're supporting their the local community and yeah certainly birkenhead's not the kind of place you you want to go if you don't have thick skin <laughs> Oh, good people, good wit on both sides of the River Mercy. All right, we, we head back down to Exeter, and, and let's first talk uh, about Liverpool. Let's talk about the Jurgen Klopp injury crisis. Now, you've been on the pulse of this thing now for, for a few days, and obviously you follow Liverpool extensively uh, throughout, throughout the year. What do you put down this injury crisis to, and do you buy into the theory that a lot of people, including a lot of former professionals and former coaches, are the theory that they're throwing out that the style of play, this, this high-pressure, high-intensity Jurgen Klopp style, is now playing in, in to the amount of injuries that Liverpool are suffering? Um, look, I, I do think when you have this amount of injuries and, and similar injuries, as in hamstring injuries, you do have to look at the way things are being done. 
both medically and, and the way the trainings are, uh, are are worked day in, day out. But when I was at Liverpool, they were taking a lot of days off. Uh, I, I think it can be coupled on both ends. The manager may be coming in trying to implement his ideas mid-season, which can be difficult. But also it can be the players, too, wanting to go that extra mile for the for the coach, wanting to put themselves in positions where they can win games. And uh, you Look, I, I definitely think it's cause for concern because too many players now have got injured, but it's difficult for me or it's difficult for the likes of Graeme Souness or today we have Sam Allardyce, who I have no idea why he's talking about another team when he's in the middle of a relegation <laughs> battle. But, you know, I, I think unless you're there day in, day out uh, among the practices, um, you can't really comment. And look, Klopp has, has been a top-level coach. He's been at you know at the top in in Germany, so he obviously knows how to to work. And maybe some of it's bad luck, but yeah, I think it's something that he'll be looking to rectify as well over the next couple of weeks because it it really can't continue this way. What do you think the squad selection is going to be like uh, tomorrow in this match for Liverpool? I, I think it's going to be a young team. <clears throat> I think you're going to see you know Shea Ojo come back in, who's a very good young player. Uh, Ryan Kent, who was on loan at Coventry. I spoke with Alex Inglethorpe at the academy about him last year, and they feel he's very, very close. Um, and and I, I don't know for certain whether Klopp was talking about him, but when he, when he got there and he was out on loan, I, I don't think Klopp was happy because he's a player he wanted close and we could monitor day in, day out. So I think it's going to be a chance for some young players to, to play. But then again, it's, it's a difficult environment. It's a, 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 you know, a lower level field in January. It's a difficult crowd and it's going to be difficult for those youngsters. But I, I really don't think Liverpool have any other options um, but to rest the fit first team players that they have. They're already missing a lot of big first team players. So it's, it's going to make for great entertainment for us. And that's why it's going to be a must watch tomorrow night. We had Danny Higginbottom on the show yesterday, Keith, and Danny brought up a very interesting point. He said he was rather displeased at the way the scheduling worked out this year. And look, this time of year, we're always having this discussion about fixture pile up for, for Premier League teams and even for even for teams in the in the lower leagues in England. But one thing that Danny pointed out is he was disappointed that there's Premier League games literally two or three days after these FA Cup ties. Does that does that upset you at all in terms of then maybe giving Premier League teams an excuse to, to not put all the eggs in the basket? Yeah, I, I, I think it does. I, I think it's really sad because, you know, it, it takes away... Look, a few years ago, I think the FA Cup was a little bit down, but now I think the Premier League is so much more difficult to win. You know, Manchester United, uh, Arsenal, Chelsea, Manchester City, even Tottenham, now so many teams can win it. Now the FA Cup becomes a, a big prize. Teams do want to win it. But when you have an FA Cup game on Saturday and then you're asked to play another Premier League game in midweek, another Premier League game the next weekend, it's really not fair to these managers. They don't have time to prepare. Uh, we've already seen with Liverpool's squads being stretched. So how do you actually get time on the, on the training ground to work on things to make your team ready for these games? Uh, I think it's a difficult situation, and it's one where we still see England kind of lagging behind you know, the, the other leagues where we have German teams in Florida hanging out, relaxing. You know, uh, other other countries get a break, and, and the English teams just continue to pile on the fixtures. 
Let's uh, switch gears here and talk a little Exeter City, and uh, we'll, we'll get back to a couple of things with Liverpool in the next segment, so I want to talk with you about uh, the, the January scoop and uh, who the, the first Klopp coup is going to be as far as the uh, transfer targets go, but Exeter City, a club that I became familiar with back in, I believe it was 2005, 11 years ago, some relatively recent FA Cup history, when they pulled off a nil-nil draw at Old Trafford and got a replay at home with Manchester United. So with that, I know it was 11 years ago, but relatively fresh in the minds of of these Exeter supporters. Talk about the the Exeter vibe, everything from the players to the coaches and and the supporters themselves, Keith. Well, they have a manager who's been there a long time. Uh, You know, he's he's come out this week in the press, Paul Tisdale, and said, look, he feels like this is an opportunity for his team to really go for it. And he mentioned specifically playing at home because so many times they have gone away from home and, and had to play difficult fixtures in cup competitions. They've been out of this level of the FA Cup for an awfully long time. So to come back in, he sees it as a one-off opportunity to pick up a big scalp. And from what Tisdale is saying, Exeter are really going to go for it. And, and I think, again, if you're, if you're going to do that against a Liverpool team who are fragile, who are going to be playing several youngsters in the side, this is the time to do it. Um, and I think Exeter, although they know on paper they're outmatched, they will feel confident of providing an upset tomorrow night because of the issues Liverpool have and because of the fixture congestion that you've talked about. Keith, uh, I want to go back actually again earlier this week. We had a, a fantastic artist who specializes in stadium portraits on the show by the name of, of Paul Town. So before we, we head to break here, uh, in, in honor of Paul Town and, and in honor of your work tomorrow, for folks who, who may be unfamiliar with this St. James Park and, and unfamiliar with Exeter City, could you paint a little picture, Keith, of, of what this ground looks like and what the surrounding area is like? It, it's very tight. You know, I, I don't get down to Exeter until tomorrow, so I, the, the surrounding area I'm not familiar with. I do know it is a very tight ground. I know that BBC will be will be here in attendance. They will be right on the touchline. They're going to build a, a, a mock studio, uh, but it's going to be right pitch side. They're going to have to move it at the start of the game. That's how tight it is down there. They're not equipped to have this kind of you know television scrutiny. So it, it's a one-off situation, but. I mean, I would liken it to, you know, a bigger version of maybe a Charleston Batteries. I can't remember what the name of the stadium is. There may be Blackpot or something. But a very homely stadium where if you make a mistake, you'll hear the individual fan saying something to you rather than, you know, a comment getting lost among 70,000 at an Old Trafford or an Emirates. So it's going to be different to what a lot of the, uh, you know, bigger name players are used to. But I tell you what, I love being around these kind of smaller stadiums where, the fans are really real fans because they're supporting teams that aren't in the limelight every week. And it really is going to be just a tremendous game. But Keith, the million dollar question is, is this ground fit for sideline reporters adjusting their ties before their own camera debuts? You know, last year I, when I got to, uh, well, when I got to uh, Tranmere, I said, where is the press box? And the girl said to me in a lovely Scouse accent, press box. There is no press box. Welcome <laughs> to league two. And, uh, <laughs> So I'm prepared to stand on the line. It's going to be very, very cold, but I, I can deal with it. I'll have my big jacket on. And look, it's, it's to be, I'm blessed to be a part of a, you know, a wonderful occasion. Um, and I, I really do think it's going to be a close game. I think the way things have gone for Liverpool, um, there's no way Klopp is going to risk some of the players that are fit. So this is a Liverpool team there for the taking. Even though Klopp does want to do well in the FA Cup, he did stress that um, when we spoke. 
But uh, I, I think I think the fact that Liverpool have struggled with injuries, Exeter are at home. It is a, a night game. It's going to be cold. Uh, it, it's going to be fun. Proper working class. A man of the people, Keith Costigan, here with us on World Soccer Talk Radio. <laughs> Back after this here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Talking a little more Jurgen Klopp and then talking Thibaut Courtois and Schneiderlin and Carrick and all these fantastic interviews that Keith has been conducting in recent days. Back after this right here. Stay tuned. You're listening to World Soccer Talk Radio with your host, Nada Barea on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Aguero! I swear you'll never see anything like this ever again! I love when we had Martin Tyler on the show, and and he said one of my my favorite lines in that whole show back in August is Martin Tyler said, you know, it's funny, Nate, because I've actually called quite a few more Sergio Aguero goals since that famous one in 2012, and, and all of my mates like to wind me up a little bit and ask me how many O's I'm going to put on the next one. So uh, there you go. It was a golden day back in May of 2012. I know all you Manchester United fans enjoy that liner every time we play it. I swear you will never see anything like that ever again. My name is Nate Abarea. Keith Costigan is with us, talking to us from a very, very nice location in London, in Kensington. That's right. Tickling ourselves during break to saying Kensington over and over and over again. But just Last week, Keith was up in the north, specifically on Merseyside at Melwood, talking with members of Liverpool Football Club. And I got to ask you about your interview with the manager of, of LFC. And, and we'll get to some of your interviews with these Man United and Chelsea players uh, here in a moment. But you finally got a chance, Keith, to sit down with Jurgen Klopp. Tell us about the experience and give us a little taste of what that interview was like. Well, you know, you see so much about him, and he's always smiling, always laughing. He's very honest. <clears throat> you know, it was I was a little bit nervous to meet him, and I was going, okay, you know, they just come off a loss to, to Newcastle, so they hadn't played well, but, you know, he was very honest and open about, you know, how difficult it was going to be coming into a new league and um, how he talked about how he wanted to adapt to the Premier League and um, how excited he was to be at Liverpool um, he was just really an open and refreshing guy to talk to. Sometimes you can't talk to managers where they're a little bit more cagey maybe in, in what they're saying or a little bit more PR, but you, you get the sense from Klopp and he really shoots from the hip and, and, and he means what he says. What was the most memorable quote uh, from, from your exchange with Jurgen Klopp? Well, we, we talked about Exeter and he said he didn't know where it was. And he asked <laughs> me, could I tell him a little bit about Exeter? And I told him it was close to Southampton and he said, well, good, we, we won at Southampton, so that's good. Um, you know, and, and he broke out into that you know famous laugh that we see almost at the end of every interview. So, look, he's he's just a laid back guy. You can tell he has belief in his own ability. And look, I, I know it'll be killing him to lose these games, but you know the, the bigger picture was I, I think next season him allowing or being allowed to get his own preseason behind and maybe bring in some players. But uh, you know, he he was good to talk to. I also got the feeling that he really does want to give this group of players the opportunity to to prove themselves over the coming months as well do you think he's got a little bit of a screw loose and I, and i mean that in a good way in terms of that that little bit of psychosis that can take a good manager to a great manager do you think there's a little little bit of a screw loose with jürgen klopp yeah i i, I think that would be fair to say and i i think i think his own quote not in my interview in another interview uh 
towards the players was I I have a little demon in me. And <laughs> you can see how he can, you know, lose you know, lose control at times, but I almost think he does it he spurs his players on with it because he's uh he's so passionate and uh it, it's funny because you go to you go back to Brendan Rogers, he was very reserved on the line and you know, I, I love to work I love dealing with Brendan as well. Uh, you know, I got along very well with him. Um, but but Klopp is certainly a different kind of personality, and uh, he, he's one that's fun to be around, and he certainly does you know live on the edge. I think is, is the best way of putting it. Hey, real quick before we uh, talk about your Manchester United interviews uh, that you conducted recently, what were some of the other uh, good experiences that you had uh, at Melwood? I understand you talked with Jordan Henderson as well. Yeah, you know Jordan obviously talked about you know his, his struggles with injury, and you know he was delighted to get back in. He still has some injury issues and. You know, both he and, and Alana and, and Shan, you could you could sense how much they were enjoying playing for Klopp and, and how much they were enjoying the, the, the new regime. But uh, having said that, they were all very quick to, to mention, you know, Brendan Rodgers and the job he had done as well. So I, I like to, to hear that from players because I thought Rodgers was, uh, you know, very... Uh, he, he gave a lot to those players too, and he showed a lot of support to them. And they were all quick to thank him as well. That is really refreshing to hear, and and you don't hear that enough in in situations like these. And you look at how managers leave clubs in this just hyperbole happy day and age that we live in, as far as soccer all around the globe, but especially in England. So that is quite refreshing uh, to hear that Keith that that the likes of Jordan Henderson and other Liverpool players are are still bringing up the name Brendan Rodgers and and paying credit where credit is due. All right, we head to uh, Manchester United. Tell us uh, your experience with these Man U players? I saw the pictures with Carrick and uh, Schneiderlin. Anybody else that you had a chance to talk to? Uh, no, it was just, you know, Carrick and Schneiderlin. And, and for me, it was just uh, Carrick is obviously a player when he came in at United. He was the, the younger player and there was a lot of, you know, more seasoned players, the likes of, you know, Rio Ferdinand and Gary Neville. And all of a sudden, he's the elder statesman in the group. And, you know, he's very level. He's, he's a very eloquent talker and he, he understands what it means to be a Manchester United player. Um, he's very proud of that fact. And, you know, he's certainly not giving up on, on this season in terms of their league position. And, uh, you know, I, you know I've, I've always felt like he's an underrated player, despite the fact that he plays for one of the biggest teams in European football. Um, and and he's, a, he's a player that Manchester United fans I certainly should be proud of in terms of the way he handles himself, both on and, and off the field. And, and Schneiderlin, a, a young player, he, you know, he a younger player. I, I think he's got the, all the attributes to, to step in when, when Carrick does, you know, eventually move on or, you know, um, you know, maybe retire in, in a couple of seasons. I think he's a, a very good player and he's really enjoying his time at United. He, he talked about the squad being a little bit bigger and, but he, he, he's embracing that challenge rather than, you know, kind of questioning why he isn't playing every single game. So that's also refreshing to hear as well. Keith, did you ask uh, either Michael Carrick or Morgan Schneiderlin about their feelings on uh, the current Louis Van Gaal situation? I did not. Um, <laughs> um, some questions are best left unsaid. No, look, <laughs> we, you know, everybody will say this when uh, you know when you go there. Why don't you ask about this? And I'm saying you do realize the players don't have to answer any questions <laughs> you ask. So it's look. Um, I, I think you put players in a very difficult position when you say, "What do you think of Louis Van Gaal?" Because he's their coach. Um, and they're going to say the PR answer. And if it's something that's annoying them, they're going to give you a very short answer. And you can lose the, the focus on the rest of the, the, the interview. So we stayed away from that, but they did mention how they were a little bit disappointed with how 
the season has gone so far, but they expect it to, to pick up over the second half of the campaign. So, you know, Keith, our, uh, our, our good mutual friend, Nick Webster, he, he once told me, I think it was about a year and a half ago, he goes, Nate, you're so overly analytical. You're so overly analytical. And here I am sitting on my show interviewing you about your interviews and, and dicing up the interviews. So <laughs> I'm not overly analytical at all. All right, we got one minute before we got to head to break here. The last one I want to ask you about is uh, Thibaut Courtois. Talk about your experience with the, uh, the big Belgian keeper at Chelsea. Well, what, a, what an intelligent guy he is. Um, you know, we, we spoke about obviously having to, to sit out at the start of the season and obviously a frustrating time for him. But for me, the, the biggest thing was talking about his relationship with Peter Cech last season. And, uh, you know, he said everyone would think that, you know, two tough goalkeepers might have issues, but he loved working with Peter Cech and he still holds him to the highest regard and obviously feels like he's one of the best goalkeepers in the world as well. Uh, but, He's just a, a very level, he's still only 23, Courtois, and he's such a level, intelligent talker, and you just get the sense that he's a goalkeeper destined to be at the very top of this game for a long time to come. You know, when I hear that Thibaut Courtois is still 23 years old, and then I see what Romelu Lukaku is doing at Everton, all of you Belgian fans out there, I know you know where I'm going with this. My God, Belgium is set for years to come, I swear to God. Nate Abarea, Keith Costigan with you here on World Soccer Talk Radio, Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Back after this, stay tuned. Back to World Soccer Talk Radio here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. My name is Nate Abarea. Tweet me at NateWST and get a hold of all of us at World Soccer Talk. And also on Twitter at Sports Byline USA. Keith Costigan here with us. And Keith, it's time to take a trip back uh, to, to Southern California right now and, and talk about the the Los Angeles Galaxy mass exodus, but I want to talk with you specifically about one man who you are quite familiar with, someone we've talked about uh, extensively on the show together, and, and I speak, of course, of Jossie Zardes, a man who you know from his, from his collegiate career and, and have followed him uh, quite a bit since then. Where do you think Jossie Zardes is going to end up here in this January transfer window? Because yet again with Jossie, the rumors are flying, Keith. Um, why don't you tell me what the rumors are? <laughs> uh, England, Germany, Mexico, MLS, dot, dot, dot. Um, look, I, I think it was you know well documented. There was uh, interest from... Um, an English championship team towards the end of last year uh, who've since lost their manager. So I don't know what, where that stands. Um, I'm not surprised his interest. I think he's a very talented young player. Um, but I, I think either way he's in a good position. If he does stay in MLS, he's at a very good club in LA Galaxy uh, who do things the right way. I would say that, you know, and this is for me and nobody else, that I, I think pay-wise, if you've just played more international games than anybody else in the last 12 months, 
your pay package should certainly reflect that. Um, so I think that's something the LA Galaxy will need to look to uh, if he does stay on. But if he doesn't, he is going to have a lot of options because he's a, a fine young player, a really good young man. And um, I guess that's me sitting on the fence and saying absolutely nothing on it. <laughs> well, the the team that you bring up in the English Championship was Reading, and so from from any of the the scoops that you're getting, I mean, did did that completely go off the boil once the manager was gone? Was that purely between he and Jossie, or, or is there still a chance that Reading could happen? I, I'll be completely honest. I spent some time. Uh, I was with Danny Williams a couple of weeks ago uh, uh, at his place. Uh, we, we we talked a lot about Reading, but we talked a lot about the change. We never, we never spoke about Jassy, um, you know. So uh, in that regard, I wouldn't know. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. A lot of times, clubs now do their business in different ways. It's not just the manager, you know. If if the club is scouting somebody, these scouting options will be presented to the new manager, etc. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if the interest is still there. I, I just wouldn't be the person to ask in terms of whether that's something that will move forward this month. Well, as, as many listeners know, and, and as you rightly point out, as you're talking with Danny Williams there, Reading with a, a great history in, in the last decade plus uh, with, with American players, going back to Bobby Convey and Marcus Hanneman, and who knows if, if Jossie Zardes could follow in, in those footsteps. Again, those, those connections with those clubs to American players, those pipelines, it is something worth mentioning without a doubt. Now, now you know Jossie from, from his time at, at CSU Bakersfield and, and then your coaching career your your young coaching career has has started to to develop a, a bit of momentum keith and, and you're still doing work in in the college landscapes uh with, with irvine and you definitely have a, a keen eye for for talent and and breaking down the game and i have to ask you just i mean friend to friend here is is with your media career also taking off, are you interested in really progressing as a coach? Because it seems as if you're you're doing all the right things. I am coaching wise. It's 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 my passion because again, you know, I've said a billion times with uh, with what we do in terms of what both of us do, um, commentating, you know, podcasts, whatever it might be, sideline reporting. It's it's not something that's results oriented. So I can go out there and feel like I have a tremendous day on the sideline and somebody may say no you didn't uh, but when you coach build a team you get results and you can point to hard facts to, to whether you're doing a good job or not I like that I like the fact that I can do that and uh, look I, I really enjoy commentating um, I've, I feel like I've grown over the last year or two um, as a play-by-play commentator I want that to continue but certainly I'll, I'll, I'll continue to pursue my coaching because for me, that's that's the biggest passion I have. Could you ever see yourself doing it full time, though, Keith? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I do. Um, it would have to be the the right opportunity, um, and I do think there's more and more of those opportunities now in America, in MLS, um, in some of the lower leagues. Um, so yeah, I, I do. But again, you know, because of I'm lucky enough to have a good career with Fox Sports, um, you can't just walk away from something like that on, unless you know it's a it's a a guaranteed position to put yourself where you can be successful. But, you know, I've just seen my, my good friend Tony Miola do uh, something similar, gone to Jacksonville Armada. He'll, I think he'll be very good there. I talk with Paul DeGleish all the time. He's now at Ottawa. So, you know, I, I, I keep my, I keep my ear to the ground when it comes to these things. And, you know, it's something that I'm interested in and, and will continue to be. And when the time is right, I'll, I'll, I'll make that step. 
Well, Keith, I love how the, the, the media work and the coaching work, they've, they've been progressing simultaneously for you. And, and I have to ask this again, I, I go back to another conversation uh, uh, with Nick Webster over the last year. We've had this a, a number of times and it's something that Nick always touches on. He says, nothing will make you a better commentator or a, a better, even, even writer uh, about the game than being involved in coaching. And, and that's Nick's opinion. But I have to ask you that is how much has, has coaching helped you as a broadcaster, pundit, sideline reporter, writer, and, and overall media man? Well, if I'm not mistaken, did you have Guillaume Balaguer on a, a couple of weeks ago? We, we had Guillaume Balaguer on actually back in uh, early October, yes. Yeah, well, Guillaume's a good friend of mine, and we, we spoke, this is a couple of years ago, um, right when he was finishing the Pep Guardiola book, and I happened to be in Barcelona, and we met up, and we talked about certain things, and, and he mentioned to me, you know what it's like to be in a dressing room. And he, he went down the coaching road and took his coaching badges. And, you know, I, I knew what I did. And I asked, why are you doing that? And he said, I need to know what it's like to be in a dressing room um, because you can understand what's going on a lot more from a coach's perspective, from a player perspective. And, and he made a point that whether it's the smallest team in the world or the top team, the dynamics of a dressing room remain very similar. You have the egotistical player. You have the insecure player. You have... So every, every dressing room will mirror that. And, and he said, if you're around that and you know what it feels like to be in amongst that, you become a better broadcaster. You become a better writer. You become a better commentator. And it's something that I've always held close to me, and, and I agree 100% with Absolutely. And shout out before I forget to Biggles Wade United. Been talking uh, uh-huh. with, with the chairman yeah. quite a bit. Can't wait to get out there and, and check out everything that's going on. Gia, man, and the chairman both have, uh, have given me an open invitation. So you folks over there at Biggles Wade United, I cannot wait to see you in the near future. Who knows? Hey, I'm, I'm six years high school coaching experience. Biggles Wade, if you need a manager, I'm open. Just, just throwing that out there. I got to ask you about a bit of a troubling managerial story here, here in the States, Keith. And I don't know how much you've been reading about this because you've obviously been quite busy covering, oh, you know, the FA Cup and, and the Premier League and interviewing Jurgen Klopp and Thibaut Courtois and so many others. But I, I speak, of course, of, of what I jokingly opened the show with. And, and we can be joking or serious about this. There's definitely a, a number of ways to go here. But the story with Peter Novak and, and what's coming out about his, the, the latter stages of his reign uh, with, with the Philadelphia Union and, and he's someone who also managed uh, DC United for a few years, but it's coming out of, of alleged hazing and, and spanking of rookie players and dismissing concussion symptoms as, as mere crybaby tactics and, and making players go on 12-mile runs in summer heat with no water. What have, what have you heard about this, and, and do you think it's more commonplace than a lot of people would like to believe, or is this just a crazy Peter Novak situation? Um, look, with, with Peter, I've, I've met him on a couple of occasions. He's always been a very good guy for me to deal with. Um, sometimes stories can get blown out of proportion. So, uh, you know, for me to comment on these individual situations without knowing the full details, I don't think that would be fair to Peter. Um, but I, I, I will say about, you know, an old school mentality, and I'm, I'm not necessarily talking about Peter here, but, you know, growing up in Ireland and playing in League of Ireland, you know, you, you had coaches making you run without water. We had Water was a sign of weakness in the League of Ireland if you asked for it in practice. So uh, only until I came to America where, 
he got regular water breaks among practice today realized that no that this is a part of you know the training exercise to 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 make yourself stronger to make yourself a better player so th- there is an old school mentality and sometimes coaches uh i don't want to say are a victim of that but they're brought up in that culture so what they're doing they actually think is normal when are actually hurting their players. So I'm not making excuses for anybody. I don't know the, the full details of the Peter. When I've dealt with him, he's been a good guy. Um, I, I hope some of the stories aren't as bad as they initially sound. Um, but, yeah, the, these are we're starting to move away from that. I think more and more we're seeing coaches understand the, the physical, you know, uh, the man side. They're, they're more receptive to, you know, the, the science side of practice and, and allowing them in to help them you know, build loads and, you know, the periodization of practice as well. Um, so I think we're moving away from that. But, yeah, I'm not surprised to hear that, you know, some old school coaches done some crazy things because, you know, back back in the day, that was the norm. Well, you say back in the day that was the norm, and, and that transitions into what I wanted to ask you uh, about next year, and, and it relates slightly to this, and it's, it's with that buzzword of hazing, and it's never something we really associate with, with professional soccer, with professional football, and, and I, I want to ask you this question because you have a true worldly perspective of the game. You've, you've played and coached the game in multiple countries, and as an American myself, and, and I speak beyond just soccer here is is this ritualistic almost fraternity like hazing and and this alleged thing with with Novak spanking the players but I mean I've got so many other uh, incidents I could name over the years with American soccer programs either high school or college that that have gone through similar stories like this is it an American issue or or does that ritualistic hazing stuff happen around the world uh, look up Wimbledon when they sign new players or, or get Warren Barton on. And uh, I, I mean, I didn't hear from Warren, but I, I do know reading stories about how Fashionu would take care of new players when they came in if they were acting too big time. No, I don't think it's an American thing. I think it's a sport thing. Um, yeah, and it is something we have to get away from. You know, I've you know I've studied. I, I've taken my masters in coaching, and coaches will always talk about, hey, we don't want to have groups we want to have the team as a whole yet the minute new young players come in they almost encourage hazing of them by saying they're going to carry the the equipment they're going to do this they're going to do whatever you want make sure you let them know what it's like to play here they're beneath you that should never be the case um everybody should be treated the same um i don't think it's a part of it again it's one of those things that some people it's been there so long they feel that it's it's a natural part of being on a team it's not players shouldn't be made feel uncomfortable or have to do ridiculous things to, to be a part of a group. That's not what it's about. Um, so I'm, I'm against it. Um, but, but again, it is part of that old school mentality of, well, we did it. It didn't matter to us. And, um, so, you know, we're going to have our, have it done to our players. I just, I don't see the benefit of it in any way possible. Well, let us know where where you coaches out there listening to the show, where do you draw the line in this discussion? Because there's so many different avenues we could go down here and and the nuances of this and and is, as as Keith pointed out there, is making the rookie player carry all the heavy equipment. Is that technically, quote unquote, hazing? And where, where do we go from there? Where do you draw the line? Tweet us at World Soccer Talk and let us know at let me know at Nate WST. Keith, Exeter, Liverpool tomorrow. You will be leaving London in the morning, I believe, heading down to Exeter. 
Yeah, I actually interviewed Peter Cech in the morning first at, at the <laughs> Arsenal training ground. And from there, I'll head straight down to Exeter. So interviewing uh, Peter Cech, will you be uh, tying in your Thibaut Courtois interview with Peter Cech? A little bit, a little bit, but more so on the fact that, you know, he's just... I, I think everybody respects Peter Cech. You know, what he did at Chelsea to be allowed leave. And, and you know, I think Abramovich and, and Mourinho respected him so much. They granted him his wish. And look, no surprise, he moves on and he's still winning. Top, top professional. Excited to meet him. Excited to chat with him about the season so far. Keith, how can the folks get a hold of you uh, in the Twitter sphere? Sorry? In the Twitter sphere on that wild thing uh, known as Twitter, how can they get a hold of you? At Keith Costigan, I, I, I like to reply to you know, all, the, all the tweets I get, whether they're uh, constructive, I think is a nice way of putting it, or there are people telling me good job. Either way, I'll, I'll try to respond as best I can. <laughs> well, best of luck at St. James Park uh, on, on the touchline tomorrow. Don't you put up with too much stick down there. Tie that tie nice and tight, and uh, come, on, <laughs> come on, you Reds, tomorrow. I'll be looking forward to watching you on TV, mate. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Nate. Again, that was Keith Cost. Again, we're back after this, closing this thing out. World Soccer Talk Radio. Stay tuned. Another huge thank you to Keith Cost again for joining us in this edition of World Soccer Talk Radio. Be sure to check them out tomorrow, Friday, January the 8th, Exeter City hosting Liverpool. He'll be on the touchline at St. James Park in Exeter. Keith Costigan, Fox Sports 1, 3 Eastern Time here in the USA, 12 Pacific over here in California, Oregon, Washington, and the rest of that time zone. We call the Western Pacific thingy. Hey, if you're looking for an advantage when betting on soccer, I want to let you know about a unique open betting platform called FanBet. FanBet allows you to follow your friends and top-ranked bettors to get a wealth of betting tips to help improve your real money bets. They run a weekly contest called FanPlay. Members place bets on Premier League games using betting credits, game data analyzed, top bettors ranked according to their success. FanBet allows you to see these live picks and betting histories. And by following winning bettors, logic implies that you will become more successful yourself. Sign up today for your free account at FanBet.com. Again, FanBet.com. That's where you need to go to improve your soccer betting returns. Cheers to FanBet.com for their support of World Soccer Talk Radio. Cheers to the gaffer, Chris Harris. Cheers to the fantastic producers back in the great city by the bay, San Francisco. My name is Nate Abaurea. Love you. Talk to you tomorrow. World Soccer Talk Radio.